0: Welcome to this week's Planet Pipe Podcast with me, Lorne McDougall, sponsored by the National Piping Centre, www.thepipingcentre.co.uk. And this week's show has got a bit of a Titanic theme about it, going out a century and a day after the sinking of the Titanic back in April 2012. We're starting off with a track that was recorded by the Royal Scots Dragoon Guards and it's a tune that was reportedly played on the Ellen Pipes as the boat left Southampton the tune is an Irish tune, it's called Erin's Green Shamrock Shores and from their album Highland Cathedral this is the Royal Scots Dragoon Guards The Royal Scots Dragoon Guards with Erin's Green Shore. And that was played to mark the anniversary of the loss of the Titanic, which sank on the 12th of April um, 1912. And it was apparently played as the boat left Southampton. The Piper's name um, was Eugene Daly, and he was described as a Scotchman by. Um, one of the second-class passengers, Lauren Beasley, but we think that it actually means he was Irish. He's Irish piper Eugene Daly. And he was reported to have entertained the other passengers with native airs. Now, the main section of this week's podcast is an interview with Eric Wrigler, who was good enough to let me know he was in town, so I met up and had a pint with him in a pub in Glasgow and chatted about his recent Performance at the actual premiere of the new 3D version of James Cameron's film Titanic. We'll hear from that a little bit later on, but these guys are currently having their album launch in Glasgow. We've played them quite a lot, and there is no reason why we shouldn't play them again because they're awesome. This is Rura. <laughs> The set was called Elliot's from their new album called Break It Up. Speaking of rare, they're one of the many bands that are going to play this year's Piping Live Festival. Uh, the main evening concerts were announced on Tuesday past there. Tickets are now on sale. The evening concerts are £15 for adults, £12 for concessions. The line-up starts on Monday night in the Strathclyde Suite in the Glasgow Royal Concert Hall with the John McSherry Band and Michael McGordrick, John McCuster, and Chris Drever. Uh, Tuesday sees the International Quartet Competition in the same venue, the Strathclyde Suite. Wednesday at the National Piping Centre, we have got Braeberg and Kathleen McInnes and friends. Thursday in the Strathclyde Suite, again, Tejedor and Blazing Fiddles. Friday night in the Arches, there's a band from Estonia called the Rotoro and Rura who we heard and also Nightworks who we played a few weeks ago, a great new um, Scottish traditional kind of um, modern dance sort of band. Um, I think you'll really like them. Saturday in the old fruit market, um, we see the Lorne McDougall band, whoever he is, and the Vattersey Boys, and that is, of course, the night of the World Pipe Band Championships. And that is fast approaching, so get on the website, um, thepipingcentre.co.uk. Fred Morrison is now also going to be teaching bellows and whistle at the Piping Centres Virginia and Georgia schools. You can sign up by enrolling online. Um, and make sure you leave a comment saying it's for bellows, pipes and whistle. On to the main feature in this week's podcast, our interview with Eric Riggler. You'll hopefully enjoy a bit of background music from the session that was taking place in the pub as well. I hope you don't mind that, but hopefully it gives a bit of atmosphere. Um, we started off by chatting about how Eric got involved in the film in the first place, but first let's hear a track from the soundtrack of the film. This is called Him to the Sea. So here's Eric Regler, and I started off asking him what he was doing back in the UK just now.
1: The UK right now, well, I just uh, came over to play at the um, world premiere of Titanic 3D, which was... Uh, uh, my involvement was a special concert that we did at the beginning of the evening's festivities uh, at the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, composer James Horner had uh, asked me to uh, be one of the soloists, And he was asked by 20th Century Fox to do about a 20-minute suite of Titanic music. Whereupon, after that, uh, James Cameron some of the actors, producer, would come out and uh, introduce the 3D version of the film. And then they would actually screen the film for the first time in 3D in the Royal Albert Hall. Um, So uh, that's exactly what happened. And um, it was... uh, it was, a very, um, it was a beautiful evening, and um, I think it was VIP only. I don't think it was open to the public, but um, it was fairly full in there, and uh, and it was just a
0: lovely night. Wow. So tell us, we spoke, um, I think, about two years ago, um, just about your, your general work with Titanic. Just remind us about what you actually did in the original film. Well, uh, Titanic was the
1: third film I... I've done uh, working with composer James Horner. Of course, first was Braveheart, and the next one was a movie called The Devil's Own with Brad Pitt, Harrison Ford. Um, but James Horner had asked me uh, uh, about um, uh, whether or not the pipes. Well, he'd written some specific melodies for the pipes for Titanic, uh, and uh, and at the time, actually, um, had not heard of the low whistle, and um, so. I was uh, over... Um, uh, basically what I did was uh, all the Illin pipes, which um, in its original concept, and what we recorded is um, the, uh, the pipes are sort of the, the voice of the ship in a way. And they started... Uh, they were to start the film. very first thing you would hear after seeing in the very beginning of the film, you're, you're, you're pretty sure it's underwater then the camera focuses and, it, and there's, there's shipwreck. At that point, you hear the main theme played on the pipes. Then the pipes were interspersed throughout the film, uh, written into the film score. And then the last thing you would hear at the very end of the film is the pipes again, playing the theme uh, as it fades out and under the credits. Um, so anyway, if um, anybody listens to the CD soundtrack, that's exactly what the whole concept was. And then entered James Cameron, who <laughs> um, at some point in the process decided that the pipes were a harbinger of doom, as they were explained to me by, by James Horner, and um, so uh, Cameron then decided to strip uh, a good chunk of the pipes out, not, not entirely, but a good chunk of what we recorded for the underscore was then taken out, um, and, uh, and as any studio musician knows, it's the story of our lives, you know, what ends up on the floor in the cutting room is um, is usually, you know, uh, par for the course, but anyway, yeah, so it was the Illin
0: Pipes mainly. Was really so what sort of scores did you get, were you, were you allowed to add your own sort of feel to it, or did you get very set orchestral things that you had to stick to note for note grace broke by grace note or, or did you get a you know, of freedom and flexibility actually with
1: Titanic it was fairly well scored out for me there was um, several themes uh, we play them in different keys and uh, sometimes the same theme in like two or three different keys um, at the time uh, well with Braveheart I, I was just using mainly the illin pipes and the key of D the D set for uh Titanic, I actually had a B set, a flat set made for me in the key B, and um, I told James Horner about that. He was pretty interested in another color, so he did write that into the film, and that's what you hear uh, for the end credits of the on the CD version. It's called "Hymn to the Sea," and so you hear that. that The illin pipes in the key B play the final, uh, the final motif, if you will, in a a lower octave, Uh, but. no, it was fairly well scored out. Um, as opposed to Braveheart, where I had a little bit more freedom and um, was asked to write a couple of the jigs that you hear in, in Braveheart. But uh, this one, uh, this is sort of under lock and key, if you will. Was
0: it? Was there a lot of pressure to... to you know, you're, you're from a you kind of piping background, like everyone that's probably listening. Was it a big change in mindset to get into playing with orchestra and playing for a film soundtrack?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, I guess the answer would be in two parts. When I when I did, uh, when I was recording in L.A. before um, a work with James Horner, I had recorded with, with orchestras, um, but it had been uh, sort of to a click track, and so, you know, the whole orchestra is playing to click, which is fairly, you know, straightforward, you know, uh, you know it's pretty simple, but when i first went to london to do the first sessions on braveheart um, we actually did a few of the smaller smaller ensemble bits in l.a on braveheart and those were the click track or whatever we were doing that with uh, synth and villain pipes and uh, drums and percussion stuff like that but when we went to london that was the first time i played with an orchestra without a click track and you know a conductor mm-hmm. conducting freely And, um, you know, I instantly had to figure out how to uh, follow a conductor going from, you know, four bars of three, four, one bar of two, four, eight bars of four, four, one bar of six, four, back to a bar of three, four, a bar of two, four, and then you're back to like 32 bars of four, four. Sure, I mean, I had to learn, I mean, immediately how to read the baton. And um, it was kind of, yeah, it was very, uh, it was was sort of a nail biter. I remember the first day in Abbey Road when we were um, recording with the London Symphony Orchestra on Braveheart and I was, you know, I don't come from a orchestral background, I play the pipes my whole life, I read music as we do, you know, but uh, as far as having a traditional uh, sort of proper music theory background and, and um, you know, uh, taught the way maybe a flute player or a violin player, no, I wasn't... Taught that way, I never played in an orchestra in school or anything like that. So it was a bit nerve-wracking, but you know, um, figured
0: it out. So, when you actually got to see the, the film back in 1997, did it? Um, tell me about your feelings when you, you got actually see the finished product with, with such a huge contribution from yourself. How did you feel?
1: Well, Titanic was um, an interesting project. In Braveheart, we kind of got to see what was happening. The picture was locked, if you will, and meaning that they, all the editing was finished. So the composer's writing to a, a locked picture, and he knows what he's writing for. Um, that's how it usually works. But with Titanic, um, we'd been booked for uh, two weeks of recording in Los Angeles in, in uh, May of 2000. Uh, sorry, May of 1997, and uh, I think we were two days into it. And James Cameron sacked his film editor and decided to recut the whole film himself. So a lot of what James Horner had written, which was to a locked picture, all of a sudden he came out, was thrown out the window. He had to readjust the lengths of cues, um, readjust uh, certain passages, there was new bits inserted. So, you know, the, the, the film was different. So that was tricky. So it was sort of the whole summer of 1997 we just chopped and changed schedule. I mean, we'd be booked for days to come in, and we'd be canceled, and we'd be rebooked, and it was kind of a—it was a difficult process, really. I think by the end of the summer, James Horner seemed pretty over the whole process of working with James Cameron, just because um, you know, a lot of changes have been made, and he's already moving into a schedule of other films he was supposed to be scoring, and. Uh, we're still working on this one picture that won't go away, you know. Um, so it was difficult. It was hard to get an overview of really what the picture was and what we were ultimately doing, you know. Uh, but around that time, you know, um, the backstory is, which I was going to tell you, was that uh, James Horner really had not heard the low whistle. Um, and I came over to London uh, to, uh, to kind of Suss out Phil Hardy at the time uh, was making uh, low whistles over to Low Whistles and Chieftains and stuff. Uh, and uh, so I'd been kind of introduced to him by Fred Morrison over the internet or over the phone. And um, so I came over to London to pick up my Ellen pipes in Ireland that were being finished, the key set in the key of B, and going over to pick up a bunch of low whistles from Phil Hardy. And uh, I brought with me Tony Hennigan, who is the uh, the guy that played the low whistles on Titanic and uh, he also was the guy that played the Cana flutes and stuff in Braveheart uh, and so Tony came with me we went up, met Phil Hardy um, and uh, those two struck up a friendship after that um, so I got a whole set of whistles and then Tony ultimately got a whole set of whistles and then James Horner heard this instrument the low whistle which he really hadn't heard much of before and um, at that point, fell in love with it, and sold the idea to James Cameron, and next next, you know, it's it's
0: history, you know that. It's interesting, because the low whistle isn't actually that old an instrument, is it? It's, no. It's, it's probably invented after the <laughs> Titanic. Well, I think, you know, I mean, I
1: several stories about that, you know, I mean, speaking of Patty Keenan, he's sort of got his ideas of it starting with him maybe in the late sixties and then Finbar Fury is yeah. saying it maybe started with him in the late sixties. But yeah but it just very... it so suits
0: it just the mellowness, just the, the sadness of it. Yeah, it really um ended saying, that... it's, it's interesting what you're saying about that that Illumplates being the sound of the ship. That, that really kinda of brings bells in my head because when I think of it that's when I think of the film, that's what I think of in my head is just the, the wailing, like kind of metallic wailing. Found kind
1: of pipes. Yeah, it's uh, something that definitely, um, I think as he was writing the music, uh, Horner was definitely feeling the emotional value of not only the only pipes, but obviously the low whistle as well, you know. Um, so I think he, he, he really tapped into something um, that those instruments could provide. Um, and, uh, of course, and then the song, the big hit, the Celine Dion song, actually didn't come along until a bit later in the whole film process as we were doing the music the whole summer of 2000, it was a track of decades, of <laughs> 1997, you know, um, you know, then Horner wrote the low whistle in to f- be featured in My Heart Will Go On, you know, which of course you know, is a whole other story, but, um, but, uh. The other night, after the uh, Titanic 3D premiere uh, performance that we did at, at the Albert Hall, um, it was an after-party, as, as there is, you know, and uh, we are all shuttled off to this sort of club in in, in London and uh, up the red carpet into some, you know, upper level of this club, and, and uh, you know, we were being served drinks and whatnot, you know, uh, uh the actors showed up, and, and, and all the uh, you know the producers and whatnot, what, and uh, myself, Tony Hinnigan, uh the flute player, or the, sorry, the whistle player, um, James Moore and James Cameron uh, were there, and uh, I got a chance to speak with James Cameron about uh, uh,
2: about the
1: the music side of it, which was I, I hadn't really had a chance to, to meet with him before. That's uh, the director. Yeah, the director of the film. And um, so I got this story firsthand. apparently, while James Cameron and James Horner are standing there telling me the story, which was great because I'd heard the rumors of it, apparently James Cameron, the director, had said to James Horner, I don't want violins, I don't want strings to be, I don't want this to be a classic Hollywood film score with a lush orchestra and all that. So you can't use strings, so to speak, as the main emotional value of of the the soundtrack um, to which Horner then said okay then I'm going to sell you on the idea of a couple of instruments that are going to take over and um, so that was the whole deal was you can't use strings okay but you've got to use ill pipes and low whistle and um, so anyway that was the whole genesis of what it uh, sort of became the voice of the film if you will was that um, you know uh corner said listen to these instruments and Cameron fell in love with the sound of the pipes and the whistle and uh, so then that that became you know what it is uh, what it is today but um, other than that we would have probably had a more traditional
0: um, Hollywood film score
2: <laughs>
0: so is there any more kind of big film sort of things in the future and what are you doing yourself hyper-wise over the next year or so well I just did a couple of things uh, one is uh
1: Men in Black 3 which oh. has come out which I didn't even know was uh, <laughs> even another film to be released but anyway um, there's just a silly little bit of alien worms trying to play animated alien worms trying to play a uh, Highland bagpipe <laughs> uh, and the worms break into a chorus of uh, Amazing Grace badly out of tune and uh, the, the uh, Highland pipes uh, or myself doing that you know so just a silly little bit um, and then uh there's a uh, another film coming out this summer that um, starring Liam Neeson called Battleship, which is a big action thriller. Uh, and uh, I was just brought in to do some music consulting on that, work with the composer and show him how to write for the pipes. And of course, as soon as you leave town, then they record it, and that's what happened. I um, had a holiday booked uh, and uh, assured that they would be recording when I would return, and uh, so. Uh, what happened was I went on holiday and then they called me and said we're recording the film and we've brought in other pipers, but we need you to help uh, while on your holiday how to write for the pipes. a <laughs> total nightmare, you know, so the first couple of days of uh, of the holiday was spent um, showing them what key we write in and where the range of the Highland bagpipes are and what, no, they cannot play in the key of C and whatnot, you know, so... But, um, yeah, those are a couple of things that are coming out. Apart from that, I mean, I never know. The phone rings, and and you never know what could it be. You know, it's, uh, it's just, you know, life is a freelance musician, as we were talking about. <laughs> it's
0: unpredictable. We wouldn't have it any other way. Absolutely. Well, Eric, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. I really hope you have a great time in Scotland.
1: Cheers. Thanks a lot. Cheers.
0: The voice of Eric Rigler, there, accompanied by the backing of a session in Waxy O'Connors um, in Glasgow. Now, Piping Live is coming up, as I've said, and in the meantime, they are looking for pipers to help create the world's biggest pipe along. They started last year, got some amazing entries, but they need even more. There's a video of Ronnie McLeod giving you details and playing when the Pipers play. All you need to do is film yourself playing the same tune. The music's on the Piping Live website and send your video as a .mov file to info at wiremedia.co.uk. Any questions, feel free to ask. If you live somewhere near an iconic landmark like Sydney Opera House, London Bridge, CN Tower, Grouse Mountain, Statue of Liberty, Louvre, um, etc., they would love used to find yourself playing at that spot so they can show how piping really is a global community again more info on that on the piping live website pipinglive.co.uk let's play out this week with a track from one of the artists playing at piping live on the monday night this is john mcsherry i'm Laurent doogle thanks to wriggler for the chat and thanks to you for listening www.planetpipe.com is the website you can subscribe in iTunes as well visit our sponsors the National Piping Centre www.thepipingcentre.co.uk and of course a lot of the CDs you hear on this podcast as well as all the other ones will be for sale in their shop join me again in two weeks for another new show on Planet Pipe this is John McSherry it's from his album Trip Switch and the track is Rose in the Gap <music>